Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and we'll continue our series in the certainty of the Savior and the Gospels of Luke. And I do want to thank Steve and Matthew and Reed for preaching uh, during December, and I enjoyed sitting under the preaching of the Word of those men. Thank you for that. Jesus has been invited to someone's house after a Sabbath day worship, and he healed again on the Sabbath. It created conflict amongst the crowd. And he told a parable about a certain banquet, a wedding feast. And then we'll pick up where he's still at that home of the Pharisee. And he tells another parable of a great banquet, beginning in Luke chapter 14 and verse 12. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Here is the reading of the Word of God. Let's pray again. Father, by your Word and Spirit, would you continue to form and fashion and shape us individually more into the image and likeness of Jesus. And we pray that as a congregation, by your Word and Spirit, you would form and fashion and shape us as your body more into the likeness of Jesus as well. Work that grace among us, we pray, this day. As we sit at your feet and open your word, speak, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned, Jesus is still at this after-synagogue dinner in the home of a prominent religious leader, and Jesus continues sort of lessons in etiquette. In the first portion that we saw several weeks ago, Jesus tells the people where to and where not to sit. Many came in presuming they were to sit in the honored seats, and Jesus says, no, let let me tell you where to sit and where not to sit. Now, in this second letter, Jesus is continuing giving some etiquette lessons, if you will, not just where to and where not to sit, but who to and who not to invite. 
These lessons in etiquette remind me of an episode on the Andy Griffith Show in which Andy and Barney wanted to help out Ernest T. Bass. Ernest T. is straight from the hills. He has no social etiquette whatsoever. And so Andy takes him under his wing and he teaches him how to walk and teaches him how to talk. He even gives him certain phrases to practice. How do you do, Mrs. Wiley? No coffee, tea, or punch. Thank you. And the day of this party, he, Andy dresses Ernest T. into a three-piece suit complete with a handkerchief in his coat pocket, a, a top hat, and off they go. They go to the party, and after a brief, awkward conversation with Mrs. Wiley, Ernest T. invites Ramona to dance. And as they're dancing, somebody, as the culture often allowed, cuts in on the dance, and Ernest T. takes exception to it. The man continues to insist, and the real Ernest T. comes out. He goes berserk, he takes a flower vase, he breaks it over the man's head, and all of a sudden, Mrs. Wiley recognizes him. That's him, that's that animal, that creature. Creature, who you calling a creature? And he's having to be held back. And finally, he grabs Ramona, throws her over the shoulder, and runs out the house. All of the social etiquette, Ernest T. just couldn't quite get because he was of a different culture. And in a very real sense, despite all the religious teaching and the etiquette, because Jesus' etiquette was an etiquette not of external social etiquette, but of internal spiritual etiquette of a new heart. The Pharisees just couldn't get it. They were of another culture, or shall we say, they were of another kingdom altogether. And so Jesus, as he observed not only where the guests sat, the places of presumed honor, but he also observed the kinds of people that were invited to the dinner, the social and religious elite. And so Jesus uses this occasion to teach again about the kingdom of God and what it's like. And Jesus calls us to reflect the values of his banquet hall, the banquet hall of the king. Typically in the culture of that day, the people you invited to a party reflected something of who you were. It, it, it demonstrated your status, your standing in the culture and the community. And so many of the parties and banquets became displays of lifestyle of the rich and famous. It was the place where the who's who would, would go and, and gather and Jesus observed that the after the synagogue dinner was no different. They had invited the people that would make them look good, to establish their standing in the community. And Jesus actually challenges the host regarding his guest list. Do not invite your family and friends. Do not invite the wealthy who can repay you. Your guest list instead should mirror that of the master's list. The lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. He says it twice in verses 13 and 21, just in case we missed it. And yet these were the very ones the Pharisees shunned. Pharisees by name meant to be the separate ones. They deliberately, physically, geographically separated themselves from the, the poor and the lame, the sick. Why? Well, Leviticus 21, Aaron is told, 
Who can serve his priests and his family? And this is what it said. None of your offspring throughout their generation who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame or one who has mutilated face or limb too long. These were not allowed in. All the more reason back in verse 2 of this chapter, thinking the man with dropsy was just a plant to, to try to trap Jesus. Now when Jesus says, don't invite all these, he's not saying you can't invite your family members and friends. He says you can't invite, it's not that you can't invite the wealthy. He's using intended exaggeration here. Yes, you can invite these, but don't let these be the only ones on your list. Jesus is saying our guest list often reflects our hearts. Heart etiquette of the kingdom of God involves a lifestyle of loving and serving and sacrificing for others who can never repay us in this life. Associating with people who will never be able to enhance our reputation or return the favor. Life in the kingdom of God is a lifestyle of selfless, sacrificial service to others in which we may never be repaid or never recognized at all in the entirety of our lives on this planet. Ray Stedman, pastor, tells the story of an old missionary couple who had been serving in Africa for years, and they were retiring and returning to New York. They had no pension. They were in poor health, and they returned exhausted and discouraged. And they discovered that they had been booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions, but nobody on the ship paid any attention to the couple. There was all kinds of fanfare and wanting to catch a glimpse of the the great president. There was newspaper reports that he was on it and uh, afterwards a celebration of that. And when they landed in New York, there was a band playing. There were dignitaries. The mayor of the city came and welcomed the president. Newspapers were filled of the event, but no one noticed the couple. They slipped off the ship. They found a flat on the east side, and the next day they were going to go to try and find some means of eking out a living in the big city. But that night, the man broke. He just broke down and began to weep and said, I I just can't take it. And the wife said, you go to the bedroom and you settle it with your husband. A few minutes later, he returned, and his countenance was completely different, and he said, what, what, what happened? And he said, well, the Lord did his business with me, if you will. I told him how bitter I was. I told him how disappointed I was. I told, told him how upset I was that no one met us when we returned home, not one single individual. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. Why would a Christian, why would a follower of Jesus invest his or her life into people who will in no way be able to enhance our reputation, who will be able to nowhere uh, repay us for what we've done, who in, in acts of service and mercy that may go unrecognized the entirety of our lives, why would a believer in Jesus do this? Because the believer in Jesus knows something. We're not home yet. That's Jesus' point. Did did you see it 
in verse 14. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Then he said this, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Do you believe that? Do you believe this life is all that there is? Or do we know the hope of glory that's been embedded in the hearts and minds of the followers of Jesus? If we do, then Jesus' question begs the question of us. Who's on your guest list? Who's on my guest list? Who's in your inner circle? Who are you seeking to serve? Do our values reflect the heart value of the king of the kingdom? The poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who are on the outskirts of social acceptability, the earnest tease, if you will. Jesus, at this party, is challenging the host on his guest list. It's sort of awkward. It, it, it's just not socially acceptable to do something like that and so I can't help but think in the middle of this the tension is is thick in the room and so someone trying to break the awkward silence just sort of blurts out in verse 15 blessed is everyone who eats bread at the kingdom of God well his his comment not only sought to relieve the tension but it also revealed that he and his friends assumed they were on the list They're still among those self-righteous that just knew that they had to be on the list. And so Jesus uses this as a segue into the next parable of a banquet that he tells them at the same dinner party. And in this parable, Jesus reminds us not only that everyone, not everyone will enter the banquet hall of the king. The story goes, invitation goes out for the master to a whole host of people but many people refused to come. The cultural setting is important here. Here's how invitations worked in Jesus' day. An invitation went out in two stages. Stage one, you would receive an invitation, a verbal invitation. Would you please come to a banquet that I'm going to be throwing, a, a celebration that we're going to have? Would you come? And implied in that was an RSVP. So the servant would go out in stage one and say, a great banquet's coming, would you plan to come? And people would say yes or no. Stage two would go out to the people who responded positively to the RSVP. And it's in this context that something strange happens. You see uh, the first invitation in verse 16 with the included RSVP. The second invitation of the day of the celebrations extended, come, verse 17, for everything is now ready. But when it came time for the banquet, the many people who said they were coming changed their minds. Now, can you imagine if you're the father of a bride and 250 people have been invited to the after-ceremony sit-down dinner? 250 people said they were coming, but, but on the day only 25 showed. The, the social embarrassment, the humiliation, not to mention the financial costs and loss. And in the Middle Eastern culture, to be a no-show when you said you were coming was viewed as a deliberate personal insult upon the host. And so that's what's going on here. And then to add insult to in, in, uh, injury, Look at the excuses. Look at how flimsy these excuses are. Well, one purchased property. 
Another bought oxen. Another had recently been married. These could be legitimate excuses, but who purchases land sight unseen? Who buys oxen before they're tested as, they, as whether they can work or not? And what's the deal with this newlywed? Now, Deuteronomy 24.5 says that if you've been married, the man should not go to war for a year, but stay home and get to know his wife and cherish his wife and please his wife. But this isn't war. I mean, this is like a cheap date. He, he, he could go and take his wife and get a free meal out of it. What's going on here? I mean, all of these excuses. Can you imagine? All of our students aren't back, but some are back. And the, the, the men finally uh, get this nerve to, I'm going to invite this young lady out. So this, this guy says, I, I'm, I've got my nerve up. I'm going to invite her out to date for a nice dinner. He finally texts. No, you don't text, by the way, guys. You call them. You actually talk to them. And he asks her out, and she says, well, actually, I'm going to be washing my hair that night. I mean, the devastation, that, that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying all these excuses are on the part of, I'm sorry, I can't come, I have to wash my hair tonight. Jesus is deliberately portraying these excuses as utterly ridiculous. Why? To demonstrate the absurdity of our own excuses and not passionately following and pursuing him. What were the excuses? I, I, I believe that somehow my home, my, my vocation, my family are going to provide me greater satisfaction in life than the King of glory and the King of grace. You know, C.S. Lewis captured the folly of our subtle decisions every day in his oft-quoted sermon, The Weight of Glory. And in that sermon... Lewis compares our pitiful appetites with the banquet of grace that's set before us. He, he says this. You've heard me read it many times in the past. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased with temporal pleasures that we think somehow will fill the, the infinite void in our hearts. We're, we're far too easily pleased with temporal pleasures and hopes that the purchase of property and our homes and relationships and our income will provide us lasting joy. But if our possessions and affections, writes Kent Hughes, are so preferred that they become excuses to turn down Christ's feast, our thinking is absurd and our souls are in danger. In fact, Jesus says it's eternal peril. Did you, did you notice in this parable the grammatical change in which Jesus shifts from the host to himself. Look again at verse 24. For I tell you to those who've repeatedly rejected this invitation, for I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste, what? My banquet. Jesus is saying very clearly that if we prefer 
even the good things of this world over him. That one day the door of the banquet hall will be shut and the invitation will expire. So again, Jesus is asking the question, where's my heart? Where is your heart? Where do our ultimate affections lie? What are our excuses for neglect of him almost on a daily basis? He wants to arrest our hearts. He's showing the absurdity of these excuses to point out the absurdity of my own heart. Why, if we understand and believe the gospel, would I ever settle for the temporal with eternal satisfactions are offered us through the person and work of Christ? But you know, there's something else going on in this parable than just the individual rejection. There's a bigger picture, a grander scheme that's being explained here. This parable in reality is a picture of God's redemptive plan and Israel's response. In Isaiah chapter 25, God promises Israel that one day there will be a great messianic banquet in the new heavens and the new earth and you all are invited and Israel said, yes, we will be there. Through the Psalms and the law and the prophets, they were invited again and again and again to this grand feast. And Israel said, we will be there. But when the servant of the invitation actually arrived, not just a servant, but when the son of the king himself appeared, the religious self-righteous leaders rejected him. But thankfully, the master in this parable would not take no for an answer. And even more thankfully, neither will our God. Jesus in this parable is reminding us and pointing out the relentless compassion of a God who continues to invite all to come to this banquet hall of the king. I don't know if you noticed it, but the word invite or called is used ten times in this section. Five times in what we saw in the previous sermon on this passage, five times in verses 7 through 11, and another five times in verses 12 through 24, where we are this morning. We are being reminded of Jesus' relentless compassion throughout Luke's gospel. Steve preached several weeks ago on that passage of scripture where Jesus, looking out over Jerusalem, looking out over those who had been invited to the great messianic banquet, and he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing, you would not come. Do you hear and see and feel the beckoning compassion of our Savior for lost sinners who are in desperate need of His salvation. And since the religious leaders rudely rejected Jesus, they rudely rejected this invitation. The Master, because of His relentless compassion for the lost, instructs His servants in verse 21. Okay, they've rejected me. They didn't show. They're no-shows. So go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those whom the Jewish religious religious leaders had rejected, the physically disabled, the poverty-stricken, 
the tax collectors and notorious sinners, the religious rejects, go bring them in. And then the servant says, this has been done. I've already done that. And, and still there's room. There's still room. Why? Because the banquet hall is a hall of unimaginable bounty for it reflects the unimaginable bounty of the heart of the host, of the heart of the king himself. Still not satisfied, the master gives his servants further instruction. Verse 23, go out now to the highways and hedges, not, not just in the city, not just the Jewish people now. This is going to be good news for the Gentiles, the, the pagans. Go outside the city now to the highways and byways and not just bring them, but, verse 23, compel people to come to my house that it may be filled. Leave the city. Go to the highways and byways where lepers live, where dirty Gentile dogs dwell, where the religious refuse of humanity huddle. Go there and compel. The word compel literally is to take someone by the hand who's reluctant to take them by that hand and bring them to the house. Can you imagine if you're, if, if you're afraid of standing in front of people and I were to come out and say, come on up front for me just a minute. What would it take? I would need to take your hand, maybe both of them, and begin to pull. That's the picture Jesus gives. Because our God is a God of great compassion who is compelled himself to see that not one of the elect ever, ever, ever be lost. You go and you compel them to come in. Now, why would they need to be compelled to come to a free dinner, to a banquet that they can hardly begin to imagine? Because unlike the self-righteous religious leaders of Jesus' day, these people recognize their sin and their unworthiness. They recognize they have no righteous raiments to wear, only filthy rags. They recognize they have no claim whatsoever to sit at the table of the king. And yet the king is relentless in his compassion. And he says, though you may feel and are unworthy, you are never unwelcomed. For the banquet is at my cost, the cost of my son. So what should our response be to these parables? First come, you may be here this morning and you're thinking, Christ could never accept me, not who I am, not where I've been, not what I've done. My sin is too great. My struggles are too strong. But Jesus himself says, there is still room for you. You come. Isaiah paints a wonderful picture that the, many of the Jewish leaders rejected. But here's a picture of the invitation again through the ministry of the Spirit. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. And so sinners are bid to come. And even those who have come to Christ, we keep on coming 
And so we sing, even as believers in Christ, come ye sinners, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So Jesus himself says repeatedly, come, come, just as you are, in repentance and faith and trust. I love the story of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son. After Jonathan's death in an age in which sons of royalty were deemed as threats and enemies and were therefore executed, David doesn't execute Mephibosheth, this crippled son of Jonathan. Rather, he takes him into his own home. And the text simply reads, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. That's who we are. Crippled, should have been rejected and cast out. Spiritual refuse of this world. And Jesus, in sovereign grace, bids us come and spreads a table for us and loves us and treats us as his own dear children. And so come and keep on coming while there is room. And second, simply this, if you've experienced the grace of Jesus, if as you sang Jesus, thank you. And I usually can't see the words on the back there during that song because my eyes fill up with tears of joy. I'll, I'll give a little, uh, uh, little side story. A few years ago, I had mentioned that from Revelation, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And after the service, a little elementary school uh, child came up and said, what, what about tears of joy? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah that's right, get away. You know, <laughs> Tears of joy. If you've experienced that joy of, of tasting of Christ and knowing that the Lord is good, having experienced this grace and mercy firsthand, then we're to respond to Jesus' parable by seeking to become somewhat like the servant in the story, by inviting and welcoming and, and compelling people. Did you notice that unlike the second sending of the servant into the streets of the city, the, the servant's the third sending into the highways and byways of the world is not yet complete. Did you notice that? Look at verse 22 again. He'd been told to go, and the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and, in, and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And there's no completion. It's as if Jesus deliberately leaves this parable open-ended so that we by grace might jump in and participate in the calling of the king to, to those who are lost and without hope in this world. And so let me simply encourage you to invite people to come to know Christ with a compelling uh, taking them by the hand if you have to. Jesus said, compel them. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me 
pray for that compelling grace in our own hearts and lives. And then by God's grace, let's invite, invite your friends to church, invite them to your small group Bible study, invite them into your hearts and your homes and in your lives where the love of Christ can be expressed, where they can see that you've discovered in Christ the soul-satisfying quest for which you've been created, that you're beginning to taste and feast at that banquet and there's nothing that you would rather have than Christ. That they might see in the words of John Piper in our own lives, in the end the heart longs not for any of God's good gifts, but for God himself. To see him and know him and be in his presence is the soul's final feast. Having tasted of this feast, let them know something of the welcoming warm, compassionate heart of a God who has called you and me into his presence and is still at work calling men and women and boys and girls to himself. There's a bronze plaque located at the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty on which the words of the new Colossus, a a poem by Emma Lazarus, is engraved. It's a poem that I think not only invited the immigrants and the refugees to our land of freedom and opportunity, but they're words that could well describe Jesus' sentiment in this passage. And I believe describe well Jesus' sentiment for the outreach of his church today. Listen again to those words of the new Colossus with sort of a new covenant gospel twist to these words. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest-tossed to me. I lift up my my lamp beside the golden door. Oh, may the sentiment of those words, may the sentiment of Christ the King increasingly become your sentiment and my sentiment and the sentiment of this church. Who's on your guest list? Our guest list reflects our hearts. Our guest list response of which kingdom we long to truly belong. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, would you grant us the compassion that you demonstrate towards the lost? Would you, by your Spirit, work in us that compelling grace that having tasted of the banquet, having feasted at the feet of Jesus, we long for those among whom we live and work and play to come to know the King of grace and the King of glory. Not only that they might know the riches that are found in Him, but that one day your house will be full and you will receive throughout eternity the glory, the honor, and the praise of all the redeemed throughout history. Lord, receive our worship now Continue to use us 
in this open-ended parable. For your glory, your honor, your praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.